so we left off with Greta finding out she has a file about her too. Um, we're going to read four chapters, so Marriott started so we can hopefully have a little less time this time. Um, so chapter 10. A thought, even a possibility, can shatter the tra and transform us. To my surprise, Anna was at school that day, but her eyes were red, and she made a point to keeping to herself or keeping herself apart from everyone. I tried to talk with her at lunch, but she asked me to go away. When I looked back, she was crying again. Inside, I felt just as awful, but more for more reasons than I could count. It broke my heart to look at Anna and know how she must be collapsing inside. The other kids whispered about her until I threatened them. Even if it cost me a detention to protect her, I would follow through on my threats if necessary. Besides, what did I care? The Stasi already had a file on me. What did it matter if disorderly conduct in school was added to the list of my supposed crimes? Other than the threats to Anna's gossipers, I spent every free minute of that day reviewing details of my life that might somehow qualify for a file. What had I done? Every time we walked home, my eyes did inevitably wander to the wall in the west. The Jensers had used his rifle to warn me of the consequences for that. But it was a, but was it a crime to see what the rest of East Berlin so effectively ignored? I was also I was a member of the pioneers, but not an enthusiastic one. I wore the uniform when it was required, but mine was never as crisp or as smooth as the other kids's, nor did I want it to be. That was it, then. Wrinkled clothes? My secret rebellion? Then at night, when we listened to the Beatles music, Fritz spoke of his frustrations with our lives, and I always joined in. Often it was just jokes about the daily inconveniences of living in such a closed-off world, and the way the government paraded its few successes around like fine art hung in a crumbling room. Sometimes we weren't joking, though. Sometimes we genuinely resented the life we were forced into. I could admit that. But was it a crime to feel that way? Everyone complained now and then. Surely I had done nothing at all that wrong. In fact, the only crime I could be sure of having committed was having been born the daughter of Elderus Lowe. If Papa had only created trouble for the government, or if Papa had once created trouble for the government, then apparently that was enough to convict me as well. For my file proved there had been a trial of my loyalty to the GDR, and at 12 years old, I was already found guilty. After school, Anna left so quickly that I wondered if she had somehow snuck out early. So I gathered my books and coat and flew out the door behind her. I caught up to her as she hurried along the sidewalk, marching home as if the devil were at her back, with her head down and shoulders slumped over. Even from here, I felt the pain she was experiencing, as real as if I could touch it. Seeing her ache made me hurt, too. I couldn't help but think of what I'd been doing, or what I'd be going through if Fritz had not returned home last night either. I'm so sorry, Anna, I said. It must. Don't you dare apologize. She swerved on me with a rage I'd never seen in her before. Her eyes blazed and her mouth was curling in an ugly snarl. Your family knew what Peter was going to do. Why didn't you stop him? Why didn't you tell me? I stepped back, caught off guard by her words. We, I, he'd already left when I found out, I stammered. And he didn't want you to know because he didn't want you to be in trouble afterwards. Well, we are, and you could have at least warned us, she said. My parents told us to stay away from you. Your family, they knew how you are. But Peter and I always insisted you were good people and that you didn't cause problems like your father did. We were wrong. You were just as bad as he was. 
Don't speak about my father, I snapped. If Peter tried to leave, that was his own doing and no one else's. My father had nothing to do with that, and neither did anyone else in my family. She stiffened as if I had slapped her. They told us people would lie about their involvement to save themselves. Peter broke the law when he left Greta, just as your father did when he left. You ought to be ashamed of him, just as I have to be ashamed of Peter now. My family loves Germany, and he hates what's happening to us. I'm not ashamed to feel the same way. Why are you listening to the Stasi? I have to. Tears filled her eyes. They could take my parents away for this, Greta. Throw them in prison or worse. What would happen to me then? I wanted to hug her and take the pain away, but I only stood there feeling useless yet again. No, the state hadn't taken my father, but they were certainly the reason he couldn't come home. At least I still had my mother. No matter what, I would always help you, I said. The state can't take away our friendship. Yes, they can, Anna. Or yes, they can. Anna bit her lip a moment before she continued. To stay out of prison, we must prove our loyalty. And your family is, well, your father anyway. Greta, we can't be friends anymore. And she ran off down the street on a road that led the wrong way, or the long way to her home. That's how eager she was to get away from me. I felt like a disease. Just as my father had infected me, I could now infect others. But with what? Courage to speak out? To act? To think and question and believe what I wanted to believe? Somehow I lived in a world where these were bad things? A little way further down the road, I happened to look up to the platform in the west, and although he had not been there that morning, my father was there now. He stood up straight, as if he had been waiting for a while, knowing I would eventually pass by. When he saw when he saw he had my attention, he started to do his dance again, and then went back to the motions of shoveling. I turned away from him down another street on a road that was long way t- from to my home too. Away from the disease. Interesting that she didn't continue to watch her father. Chapter 11. Wherever they burn books, they will also in the end burn human beings. That's an interesting one because um, they burn books right before the Holocaust. So Kristallnacht, the night of um, the broken glass, which started the Holocaust um, or World War II, that's how they actually started it was burning books. And that is correct. They did then cremate people. Um, So that's interesting to hear. Over a week later, Anna still wasn't speaking to me. She blames us for what Peter did, I said to Fritz as we walked to school. It's like we're not even friends anymore. You're not. Fritz spoke sharply at first, then drew in a deeper breath. Just be patient, Greta. Their family is in a lot of trouble. But that's not my fault. You don't know what it's like to face the Stasi. Even after a week, he hesitated before naming them, and I wondered if the bruise they'd given him was nothing compared to the other wounds that maybe I couldn't see. Anna understands it now. If they told her to avoid our family, then that's what she's going to do. It's her only choice, really. If they told you to avoid me, would you? I asked him. Fritz just chuckled and rubbed my head. Avoid you? Don't be silly. You and Mama are the only reasons I'm still here. I laughed along with him, but not really. I knew a part of him had meant exactly what he'd said. In the days since coming back from the Stasi, something about Fritz had changed. He was working fewer hours or maybe not even at all. I wasn't sure. 
He blamed his mood on the rainy spring weather, but I felt certain there was more to it. He was spending more evenings at the youth clubs, playing table tennis, and had gone to the theater on a couple of nights with his friends, even though he admitted the movies weren't much for entertainment. I did notice him combing his hair more carefully before he went out. Maybe he had a girlfriend. I hope she liked moodiness, because that was also part of the new Fritz. Since I didn't have Anna for company, and since I figured making friends with anyone else would just infect them too, I took up reading and went through books so quickly that the librarian said she wondered if I would end up reading all the books the library contained. I doubted that. I made it a point to avoid the books that surrounded too preachy, although I did check them out now and then in case the Stasis wanted to add my book choices to their secret files. And there weren't many books I really wanted to read anyways. A lot of shelves that had once been filled were empty now. Because books make people think. The DR wanted to be sure it was their kind of thinking. Mama seemed to like the idea of me reading since she knew I would be safe at home while she was at work. And she definitely liked Fritz doing more with his friends. She thought it meant we would eventually become more settled into our lives here. Mama still didn't know anything about the files. Both Fritz and I had decided that wouldn't do her any good. Nor did she understand that I too, or I had too much of my father in me to ever be settled in my life here. I was so much like him, in fact, that I hoped he would understand why I avoided the route to and from school that would take me past the platform. I figured if the Stasi were watching us, the worst thing was for them to see my father up there dancing out the lyrics to a song while I tried to figure out what it meant. I wasn't even sure if I wanted to figure it out. Whatever secret he buried before he left, I doubted it was worth the risk of digging it up. Our family didn't need any more trouble, and that was all we'd get in if I did understand his dance. By mid-May, the whispers of summer were growing. School would be out soon. We'd have time to run and play like children should, and the weather was coming so perfect that it felt like torture to be inside, which was exactly my attitude late one afternoon as the temperature in the apartment became unbearably warm. I'd opened the windows, and the breeze was still was perfect enough that I put on my shoes to go outside. Mama didn't like me wandering alone in the streets while she was gone, but this was the middle of the day. I felt perfectly safe. I had just finished buckling my shoes when I heard a scuffle going on in Ker, Cruz, er, her Cruz's apartment next door. He wasn't alone. Something was wrong. Through the thin walls of our apartment, I heard him cry out for help, and I darted into the hallway. I wasn't exactly sure what I should do, but there were always people down the street. Perhaps I could run downstairs and bring someone back to help him. He cried out again, and then something crushed against the door. Hold on, I yelled. I'll get the police. His door opened, and her cruise collapsed onto the floor in the hallway. His head was bleeding, and he was groaning. Two men followed him through the doorway and grabbed him by the shoulders. We are the police, one of them snared, snarled at me. Go back inside. No, they were Stotsy. Their greenish-gray uniforms and square and come pass emblems on their hats were dead giveaways to their identity. The question was why had they come for our neighbor? What has he done? The question fell from my mouth before I could think better of it. Surely they had made a mistake. Her crews wouldn't swat a fly without feeling guilt, but they had began dragging him away without answering. Two more Satsi left his apartment next. The smaller of them pushed past me to clear the way for his companion who was carrying an armful of books, papers, and what appeared to be rubber stamps. It was a child's playset. I used to have one just like it. In fact, 
so I couldn't think of any reason her crews should have it, or why the Stasi would be interested if he did. Unless it wasn't being used for play. A gust of wind came from my apartment door and blew it and blew into the hallway. It caught a few papers from the officer's hands and scattered them on the ground. Without thinking, I reached down to help pick them up. Sure enough, the printing on them was stamped with a message that looked as if it had been carved into the stamp. If I cannot speak what I think, then it's a crime just to be me. Despite its promises of a free press, the state controlled all printing machines and wrote the stories of the newspapers to publish. No citizen was allowed to write his own ideas if they differed from the state's message, and certainly it was against the law to distribute those writings. But that's exactly what Herc Cruz had done. He had carved a political message into children's toy stamps, and in doing so had risked years of imprisonment. From what I knew of Stasi prisons, there would be no public trial, and he would have no opportunity to defend himself. His interrogators would stop at nothing before he assigned a confession for whatever crimes they had decided he had committed. In fact, her crew's life was already over. Give me that paper, the short officer ordered me. Something about him seemed familiar, though I couldn't quite place him. Let her read it, her crew shouted at the end of the hallway. Why is the GDR so afraid of letting his people think? But the officer shoved me against the wall, and in the moment when our eyes met, I whispered, I know you. He was a friend of Fritz's, or used to be years ago. When I was very young, he used to ride me around on his back like a pony. Didn't he remember that? Didn't he know me too? He reached for the paper, but for some reason I clutched it to my chest. He raised a hand and slapped me hard across the cheek. I gasped as it knocked the breath from me too. Then someone shouted, That's my sister. Please stop. Suddenly Fritz was at my side. He apologized to the officers, then grabbed the paper from my hand. When Fritz went to give it to the officer holding me, his eyes widened. Victor? That was his name. I remember it now. Victor clearly recognized my brother too, but in an instant his expression hardened again and his grip on my shoulder tightened. Fritz reached out a hand to me, but Victor wasn't loosening his hold. I shuddered inside. Was I going to be arrested too? Fritz's voice remained calm. Victor, let her go. For the sake of our friendship. Finish with the girl and come, Victor's companion called. After a final squeeze on my shoulder, he shoved me towards Fritz and said, The Stasis have no friends. You'll be joining us soon. You'll find out. Once they left, Fritz hauled me into our apartment and locked the door behind us. What were you thinking, he yelled. I heard her crews calling for help. Printing a paper can't be such a bright crime, is it? It's not for us to determine his crimes or to help him. Fritz slumped into the couch, closed his eyes, and massaged his temples, as if a sudden headache had come on. In a quieter voice, he said, Victor and I used to be friends. He was a good guy. Once. I sat beside Fritz, feeling as exhausted as he looked. Is that what'll happen to you after you go to the military? Fritz sat up and stared blankly at me. Yes, I think that's exactly what will happen. Chapter 12. Do not rejoice in luck. Do not hesitate in the storm. Fritz and I agreed we shouldn't tell Mama about her cruise's arrest and the trouble I'd nearly gotten into there. She seemed happier lately, and neither of us wanted to ruin it for her. We're in a good routine again, Mama often said at dinner. That is good. But the routine was starting to wear on me, and something about reading this damped message from her cruise made me want to see my father again. 
It seemed like something Papa would have said if he were here. The next morning, I looked for him as I approached the crawl or crowded platform. It was a Saturday, only a half day of school for us, but my least favorite day to walk there because of the Western tourists who often came to the wall on the weekends. They took pictures, brought their binoculars, and stared into our world as if we needed another, needed or wanted another one of their pity. I hated that they watched helplessly, but did nothing for us. Interesting, though, that they have a half-day school on Saturdays. Then I stop, as if I had just seen myself in a mirror for the very first time. Who was I to complain about them? Wasn't I guilty of the same thing, of staring helplessly and doing nothing about my own problems? The tourists couldn't do anything for me. Not even the powerful governments of the West could break through that, or what they called the Iron Curtain. And everyone inside East Germany, with any sort of influence, stood shoulder to shoulder with Russia. No, there was only one person who could change my situation. Me. A couple of Genzers were patrolling the wall this morning, but I didn't have their attention yet, nor did I care. I knew down to my toes that my father would be on that platform, and I wanted to see him. I wanted to see him. I didn't at first, but then I kept walking forward. Dominic pushed to the front of the crowd and pointed to me. He gave a whoop, I thought, I could hear from where I stood, and then called down. Almost instantly, my father was on the platform, too. He started into his dance with the digging, but the platform was far too crowded, and he didn't need to do it. I understood what he wanted, just not where. So I counted out three long and deliberate paces. Then with only a peek his way, I knelt on the ground and drew a small X. X marks the spot. My father nodded back at me, and I hoped he understood what I wanted to know. The problem was that even if he did, how could he possibly communicate to me something as complicated as where I should be digging or what sort of treasure I might be looking for? It had been risky enough for me to draw the X, and though I quickly brushed it out with my foot afterwards, I still drew the attention of a couple guards in the tower who shouted down for me to walk on. I quickly obeyed and hurried away with my heart pounding. But it wasn't for, from fear. It was excitement for what my father might do next. Only a few days later, I found out. On most school days, our teacher allowed us some time in the afternoon to quietly study with one another. And since it was near the end of the school year, there were some important tests coming up. So she gave us more study time than usual. Although Anna had successfully avoided being anywhere near me for weeks, this time, the teacher assigned her to join my group, and the only spare seat was right next to me. I glanced sideways at her, but she did a good job of pretending not to notice. Anna, I whispered, can we talk? She answered by raising a book in front of her face so that no one, especially me, could see her. A sour-faced boy across from us snorted. Since when did she become too good for the rest of us? I kicked him in the shins. Hard. When he started to complain, I slouched like I was preparing to kick him again, and I would have if necessary. From the corner of my eye, I noticed Anna lower her book just a little, and I was pretty sure I caught the barest hint of a smile. Nearing the end of group time, we were discussing the causes of the America, America's Great Depression when Anna silently slipped a folded piece of paper into my hand. All school kids know how to secretly pass notes, but this one surprised me. I wanted to thank her. No, I wanted to grab her shoulders and pull her into the tightest hug ever, but I didn't do either. Instead, I slipped the note between the pages of my folder and began counting the minutes until school ended. Once we were dismissed, I quickly found a quiet spot under a tree 
and only then did I dare to unfold the paper. At first, what I saw made no sense. It was just a pencil drawing of an old building, square and made entirely of brick. There were two long windows in the front, but with no glass in them except for jagged pieces in the corner. An old chimney ran up the side of the building, but the bricks were shaded darker, suggesting it was an addition to the original place. There were three ground levels, window openings too, but no door, so I might have been looking at the back of the building. That frustrated me. As hard as it was to find any building in East Berlin, it would be nearly impossible to see the backs of them without wandering from yard to yard. Anna couldn't draw a circle, much less a building, so I knew this hadn't come from her. But there was no letter, no artist's signature, and no explanation of why I should have received it. Anna walked past me a minute later. I stuffed the picture into my folder and they caught up to her. Nothing's changed, she said. Please go away. I will. I mean, I will in a minute. Just tell me about that picture. I don't know anything about it. But she had to know something. So I touched her arm and said, Anna, please, then I'll leave. She stopped and I saw tears in her eyes. She looked around us and then, in a voice so low, I barely heard it. She said, we have family in West Berlin. Someone told them about Peter's death and they sent us a letter of consolation. This picture was in that letter with your first name on it, but I don't know why or where it came from. It was from my father. I was sure of that. And while I was less certain, I thought Dominic might have done this. The drawing he used to be artistic, though I had no way of knowing if he still was. I started to tell her so, but she shook her head to cut me off and said, don't say anything, please. You don't want me to know why you got that. I don't even know. She started to leave, but I added, Anna, I want us to be friends. I thought I saw her soften just for a moment. Then her face became stone again until I barely recognized her as the girl I had once known so well. I hid the picture before my parents saw it. She said, but you and I both know it means something. I can't do any more favors for you, Greta. Next time, I will tell someone. I backed away to let her leave. If she suddenly pulled a mask from her face, revealing a Stasi officer in disguise, I wouldn't have been more surprised than I already was because that's who it felt like I was talking to. And who knew? Maybe I was. I looked at the drawing one more time before setting off for home. Well, not directly home. Somewhere in East Berlin, this building was waiting for me. I needed to find it. And that's where I would dig. Chapter 13. This is the last one we'll read. So we're getting close. In the middle of difficulties lies opportunities. So when something's hard, you always have an opportunity, probably the opportunity to do better. Three days of searching turned up nothing. So many places came close, but something was always different from the picture. It had the wrong type of roof or different windows or no chimney at all. It seemed like everything built since the war looked alike, and the building and the drawing appeared older than that. About a half mile east of my school was a street of older homes, but I didn't see the one from the drawing among them. I was beginning to wonder if this building really existed, at least in East Berlin. The fourth day was another Saturday, a week since I had last seen Papa. Mama sent me to school with a loaf of bread to give Anna's family. It wasn't much, but it was all we had to spare, and Mama wouldn't have dared offer more anyways. Anna's family was still being shamed for what Peter had done. Mama didn't want it to look like our families were that close. But Anna wasn't in school that day, and the teacher said she had complained the day before of not feeling well. 
so I delivered, decided to deliver the bread on my way home that afternoon. At least it gave me the opportunity to walk a different neighborhood of Berlin, and a part of me hoped that, as her sorrows healed, so would our friendship. Anna met me at the door, and although she looked as healthy as anyone else, I didn't question her. If I could get away with faking sickness to skip school, I'd do it every day and not feel a hint of guilt. Before Anna slammed the door, I shoved the loaf of bread at her. This is for my mother, I said lamely. She thought your family might want it. She didn't seem too enthusiastic about accepting it, and though I wanted to believe the Stotsy couldn't find anything wrong with my mother's simple gift, I wasn't that naive. Not anymore. But whether she wanted it or not, the bread was in Anna's hands now, and the only way she could refuse it would be to drop it on the floor or hurl it back at me. If she did, I wouldn't have much cared. All Mama had asked was that I give her the bread, not force her to keep it. Finally, Anna mumbled, thank you. She started to close the door, but I put a foot on the jab to block it. I'm sorry Peter's gone, but you shouldn't be ashamed of what he tried to do. Though I hadn't planned to say that, the words poured out of me. The thoughts had swirled in my head for so long, it was a relief to speak them. At least I was careful to keep my voice low. He wanted a better life, a free life. You can't blame him for that, or at least I don't. We have a good life here, Anna said, that why wasn't it enough for him? I explained to her the way Fritz explained it to me a long time ago. You've seen the sun, Anna. Now that you have, could you ever con be content with just the stars for light? Would that be enough for you? Anna bit her lip and her eyes darted both ways along the hallway. If anyone had been there, she'd already have shut the door on me. When she was sure that we were alone, she whispered. The night he tried escaping, Peter left a letter for us on his bed. The Stotsy have it now, but his roommate at the university found it first and told us what it said. The final line was, if I don't stand for freedom, then I must sit in chains. Is that what you believe too, Greta? Of course I did. We were in chains, even if she couldn't see them. I spent six days a week in a school that taught me freedom was a lie, and every minute in public pretending I believed it. She knew the consequences for speaking out just as I did. Why else was her crew arrested? And there was the wall. If life was so terrible beyond it, then why force us to stay here? But I couldn't say any of this to her. Not anymore. Anna seemed to already have the answer for her question. Her gaze hardened. I told my parents the real people in chains are those who break our laws. They must know they're going to be caught sooner or later. Suddenly, our simple conversation began to sound like an accusation. I wasn't sure why. As far as I knew, I wasn't breaking any laws. None of the big ones, anyways. The door opened from down the hallway, and I turned to see who was coming. In that instant, Anna slammed the door shut, and I became a disease again. I marched from her apartment with a few unkind phrases in my mind that I wished I had said while I had the chance. She was practically quoting the state's propaganda, no better than a puppet on their string. Besides, I had only brought bread, not smuggled goods or revolutionary pamphlets. No secret messages were baked inside, and we asked for nothing in return. It was only bread, and yet she had treated me like I she thought like I brought the plague. No, she believed something worse, that whatever I meant, the Stasi would eventually follow. That was a ridiculous idea, wasn't it? I decided to take a shortcut home, and which sent me down a narrow alley that I usually avoided because of the leftover rubble from the bombings at the end of the last war. But this time, all I wanted was to get home and slam my bedroom door behind me and try to forget I had ever been friends with Anna. Except where I should have turned back onto the main road, I looked further down the alley. 
and saw it led to the back of some older buildings. I'd never been on this abandoned street before, yet it still felt familiar. Walking faster to keep pace with my racing heartbeat, I took in the details of one particular building. It was old and square and made of brick, and looked like it would crumble if hit by a strong enough wind. Two long windows ran up the back, and a chimney going up the side was made of a darker colored brick. The three squared windows at ground level were boarded up, and once I left the alley, it was easy to see why. The building now served as part of the Berlin Wall. Tall, cinder block rows butted up directly against the old building, and the rubber wire emerged from the wall all the way up and over the top of the building. I could only assume the front of the building was inside the death strip, and that it was sealed up too. Two more old buildings connected in a row to the building in front of me, then the wall continued on from there. The ground where I stood now looked like a small patch of forgotten farmland. It was infested with weeds, some that were almost as tall as me. Halfway to the road, a deep irrigation ditch supplied a small pond. Far to the left and behind the wall was a watchtower, which I knew from all my previous observations was always staffed with gensers, who constantly looked out for anyone getting too near the wall. But they needed binoculars to see me well, and didn't appear to be a border zone here, or at least nothing was marked to keep us away from the wall. And the tire tracks from the gensers patrols didn't look too recent. My eyes flicked back to the building in front of me as my heart pounded with possibilities. This was a place my father had wanted me to find, and something was buried inside it. I didn't know what, but the first chance I got to return with Mama's shovel, I intended to find out.